Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Good morning. Um, thanks for joining us for worship today, um, for making your way through the rain. Um, we're going to get started uh, uh, praising the Lord Jesus. If you're able, please stand. Let's lift our voices.
stand on the threshold of a new week. Thank you for getting us through the week just past. Thankful for all the blessings you've bestowed upon us as we gather here today. We remember the greatest blessing of all, the sacrifice of your son, who put off his heavenly raiment, came down and lived the life of a mortal man. Sinlessly, he took our sins upon himself with the attendant penalties that go with sin. Thank you for the greatest of all gifts. We give thanks for La Jolla Community Church, the church that you brought us to this morning. We pray it be a light in the darkness, whether that light's like a spotlight or a flickering candle, ministering to the needs of those around us. Lord, we remember the members of our congregation, especially those who are in mourning for the loss of family, loss of jobs, loss of relationships, loss of direction. We pray that you would be with them in their time so there is no loss of hope. For with you, hope is always prevalent. Lord, we ask for our open minds, hearts, and ears for the message your servant Steve is going to give us, that we take that message out when we leave these walls and do our bit for you in the world. Dear Lord, we pray for our political leaders, 
that they seek your will and be seen to seek your will. And finally, Lord, should it be our destiny or your will that instead of gathering here next week with our brothers and sisters, we find ourselves standing in front of you. Please accept us into your presence with our sins forgiven, our family comforted, and with our true gratitude for everything you allowed us to do and see in this life, the adventures you allowed us to have, and the dangers you protected us from. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. I'm so glad to see you here today in person. And a, a big hello to those who are watching online. Um, we're glad to see you here. Um, on your way inside, you should have received a bulletin. And on the bulletin, you have both a connect card and a prayer card. It says, let us get connected. It says, get connected with us. And then on the back, it says, let us pray for you. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, go ahead and take a moment and fill out that Connect card. Uh, um, let us know uh, who you are. Let's uh, get in touch and stay in touch. It's also a great way to uh, stay updated with any events going on at the church. And um, also, it's a great way to some, uh, get involved um, with the church. Now on the back, we have a Let Us Pray For You a prayer card. Take a second and please fill out the prayer card. Uh, let us know how our prayer team can pray for you during the week. And uh, after the service, um, you can drop off these cards along with any ties or offerings um, in the box in the foyer. And now I'd like to have Pastor Steve. Come on up. Thanks, Jenna. Well, welcome to church. What a great day to be here versus out trying to do something out, you know, in the yard. Um, if you were in England right now, you'd be going... Ah, it's raining again. Here we're saying, it's raining! Uh, and even as uh, Janet and I dodge dribbles of water upstairs and downstairs, we're happy, we're happy for the rain. Uh, I hope you're happy for the rain too. We're talking about the Beatitudes of Jesus. Uh, Jesus came to proclaim and to teach and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Uh, let me unpack that in 10 seconds. This is what it is. This is what it means. And this is how you live into it. Uh, to say you're uh, proclaiming is to say, this is what it is. Check it out. Voila, see it. Uh, to, to proclaim it and then teach it is to say, here's the meaning of it. Here's how you can understand it, become wise through it. And of course, the demonstration of the gospel is, this is how you live it. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God is among you. Now let me ask you, could you do that? Could you explain what it is, what it means, and what it does? And I bet your first answer is no. And I'm telling you, you can. Because the gospel is meant to be so accessible to us that a small child can understand the gospel. And the smartest theologian, the person who's memorized the Bible, can say it backwards and forwards in Greek and Hebrew and answer every question is still saying, I stand in awe of this because I find new things in it every time I open it. Not necessarily new things about the Bible, but new ways to understand how the Bible works in my world and in the, the world we live in. One of the tasks of the church is not to preserve an ancient text, it's to, to present and to understand and to apply this ancient text. So really the, the task of the church, if you, maybe you haven't thought of it this way, your task is you are part of the church. You are the church. The church is people, not a place. Uh, you are the church. If you have any sense of, I believe in Jesus, uh, I, I want to grow in my faith, you are the church. All of us are embarrassed to be the church. I can tell you that right now. The most embarrassing thing I can think about is being part of the church because it's filled with hypocritical people like me and you, incomplete people. And, and so the church uh, is, is the only option. There's no other option. Well, I'm going to do non-church. Right now we have a massive amount of people who are abandoning the church of all ages. They're saying, I'm not going to do it anymore. And it's, it's, no for, no, it's for no particular reason other than, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of a hassle. I don't like being around people who bum me out. Does anybody relate to that? Does anybody here love being around people who bum you out? If you did, you'd have, you wouldn't be married. You wouldn't have kids. You wouldn't be in a family. Not only would you work from home, you'd work in a way that you would never have to contact another human being. <laughs> and 
And so it doesn't really work, does it? So the task of the church is to, is to somehow say, this is it, this is what it means, and this is what we do with it in their generation. And it might look a little bit different than other generations, but if St. Peter showed up and said, hey, tell me what you guys are doing in teaching and proclaiming, proclaiming and teaching and demonstrating the gospel, and we started to tell him, we'd say, yeah, I got it, yeah, that's what we were doing. Different time, different setting, uh, different issues. And so these Beatitudes we're working our way through. We, we hit the first one last week. Um, blessed are you uh, if you are poor of spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we're going to move into the second one today, because we fully exhausted the understanding and the meaning of that first one. So we're moving right into the second one. Uh, and that one is, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be com- comforted. Uh, the word penthutes, uh, the Greek word. I just wanted to show off and see I know how to say a Greek word. Did I say it correctly, Costa? No, I didn't even know. <laughs> he thinks it's an Armenian word I just said, not a Greek word. But this word can mean mourning and grieving. You know what it also means? Brokenhearted. So maybe that helps you a little bit. You're thinking, gosh, it's going to be a long message. It always is, but it's going to be a long one today because I'm not particularly mourning anything. But I can guarantee that everybody here is brokenhearted. Here's how I know. You walked in. You're male. Or you're a female. Or you're single. Or you're married. Or you're a parent or you don't have kids. Or you're fully employed or you're unemployed. Or you're rich or you're poor. Am I I on track so far? Am I leaving anybody out? Um, the point is, everybody, everybody can relate to this idea of being brokenhearted at some level. Now, it goes from the not trivial, but the not so much important uh, to the extremely devastating. For example, if you were on a football field yesterday and you happened to be playing for the Seattle Seahawks, it was a very long afternoon. If later in the day you said, oh, I, that was a horrible game. I'm lamenting and I'm brokenhearted over that, that outcome. And you said, I'm going to watch a different game. And all of a sudden now you're watching a game between uh, Jacksonville and the Chargers. And you're thinking, the Chargers, oh, they got it until the last second <laughs> when they lose it. And you're saying, I bet those guys are really bummed out. We have some very dear friends who uh, are from Texas and and the only thing that could get them from Texas to California is a football game representing TCU and the Georgia Bulldogs. Partly because they're alums, and he actually played on the team back when they first invented football. And so they come with all their friends, wearing all the regalia. Uh, these people dressed in uh, ungodly shades of purple, walking through LAX into Santa Monica, and everybody's going, ah, oh, I think I know where you're from. They go into SoFi Stadium. It's going to be a great game. Not too bad at the beginning of the first quarter, seven up. We're doing so great. At the end of the game, silence. 65 to seven. I saw this and I immediately texted them. I said, how are you doing? <laughs> They're strong Christian people. The guy's like nine feet tall, big guy, you know, strong as an ox and, and a character, solid. Guy you can depend on in any situation. He said, I'm in mourning. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Uh, and then you, you say, okay, let's go up the ladder. Um, <clears throat> um, a, friend, a friend and I were talking about this. A guy uh, he knows stood up in front of a group of people and said, hey, I just want to let you know my brother died. And uh, he's, then he's talking about that. And afterwards, this massive group of people, a guy walks up to him and says, man, I know exactly how you feel. My cat just died. <laughs> and this guy had the presence of mind to say, what's your cat's name? I'm not sure I would have started with that. But what he saw was this guy was brokenhearted. Uh, literally, another family I know very well, another Texas family. Uh, very strong people, go for people. I guess that's all people of Texas. I mean, they're indomitable, right? You know, it's a whole different place, as they say. Their cat died during Christmas. It was devastating for them. This is a cat they've had for 15 years like a member of the family. It's such an awesome cat, they describe it as a dog. I apologize, all you cat owners. <laughs> I have to just say that. It was such a great cat. They treated it as a dog. It was so fantastic. During the Christmas holidays, um, a wonderful man died. 
and we're going to mourn him next weekend. And you think the trivial thing of saying, oh yeah, dude, I know exactly what your family's going through because my friend's family is cat died. But, but the brokenheartedness, right? Uh, everybody who is married is brokenhearted at some point because they wake up one day and realize that aliens have stolen their spouse. Somebody has replaced the spouse they married with an alien um, likeness that they don't understand. And this happens early in the marriage. Uh, often at the first anniversary when he says, I was at Home Depot and I saw exactly what you needed. You know, uh, every parent realizes while I was taking a brief nap, somebody swapped out my baby with an alien baby. Because this baby is not the baby I signed up for. Okay, so you can make light of it, but then immediately you're plunging into some deep, deep territory. How do you know what a brokenhearted person looks like? Everybody. Uh, R.E.M. had a great song, uh, Everybody Hurts. Everybody Hurts. And if you haven't ever heard a profound, moving song, uh, just dial in R.E.M., Everybody Hurts. Prior to them, uh, in 1966, uh, two and a half years, actually after, you know, three by the calendar, about two and a half years after GFK is assassinated, we're in the throes of upheaval with, uh, with the civil rights movement, uh, an important, necessary movement, disruptive, uh, chaos uh, all over the place. Um, Vietnam is ramping up. It's a horrible time, and a guy named Jimmy Furman comes out with a song, um, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. Remember this song? It's, an, it's one, of, I, one of my favorite Motown songs because it captures an era. Uh, and then two years later, Bobby Kennedy is assassinated. Martin Luther King is assassinated. The war gets worse. Uh, it's chaotic. There's riots everywhere. Every university, uh, you, get, you get electives by going to a riot. You know, I mean, it was just horrible. And he writes this song. He says, as I walk this land with broken dreams, I have visions of many things. But happiness is just an illusion filled with sadness and confusion. What becomes of the brokenhearted who had love that's now departed? I know I've got to find some kind of peace of mind. Maybe. The roots of love grow all around, but for me, they come a-tumbling down. Every day, heartaches grow a little stronger. I can't stand this pain much longer. I walk in shadows, searching for light. Cold and alone, no comfort in sight. Hoping and praying for someone to care always moving and going nowhere. What becomes of the brokenhearted who had, who had love that's now departed? I know I've got to find some kind of peace of mind. Help me. I'm searching, though I don't succeed. But someone, look, there's a growing need. Oh, he's lost. There's no place for beginning. All that's left is an unhappy ending. Now, what becomes of the brokenhearted who had love that's now departed? I know I've got to find some kind of peace of mind. I'll be searching everywhere just to find someone to care. I'll be looking every day. I know I'm going to find a way. Nothing's going to stop me now. I'll find a way somehow. And I'll be searching everywhere. I know I've got to find a way. I'll be looking every day. Does that at all describe you? I mean, this was written in 1966. It could be written in 1967, 1968, 19. It could be written in 2023. This song has been done so many times by so many artists. It, it's, been, it's been copied and covered by dozens, possibly hundreds of artists, vocally, instrumentally, bands, you know, independent singers. From funk people to punk people have done this song. I mean, it's amazing. Why? It's a universal description of being brokenhearted. What we find in Jesus' Beatitudes is he's summarizing not only what he came to teach and proclaim and demonstrate, he's summarizing the human experience and saying, this is where God wants to meet you. So let me just give you three, three takes on this. Uh, this is in Matthew 5.4. Blessed are those, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the brokenhearted, for they shall be consoled, is another way of saying it. First, first, first thought is this, being brokenhearted demands attention. I'm not saying it requires attention. This is something important you should get to if you have time today. It, it pretty much hijacks your day. It hijacks your life. There's nothing else on your calendar as soon as what, what is causing you to be brokenhearted comes in. It's either paralyzing or immobilizing or devastating, suffocating, humiliating, frustrating, and we could go on. 
For being brokenhearted demands attention. Why? Because it's grieving a loved one's death or the death of a vision. Think about that. You can mourn the death of a vision. See, I thought by this point in my life I'd be this, I'd be doing that. I thought this relationship was going to be this, and now it's that. I thought with all that we have, all the technology and all the wealth and affluence, our country would be here, not there. I thought we had, we, we had dealt with this issue, and yet it won't go away. It keeps coming back. It's losing something deeply meaningful to you. Nobody else might un- understand why that matters to you. It's the thing you'd run back into the house and get out of the fire. That little memento, you risked your life for that, you don't even understand. I'll explain it to you later. So being brokenhearted uh, demands attention. It includes the heartbreaking condition of this fallen world. Every week that I read our prayer request, is, I go through a, a, <laughs> it's a funk for me and everybody else who reads them. It's, it's a welcome funk. Ah, oh, no. And we pray. And we pray because we believe that God is going to bring comfort to the brokenhearted. We don't know how, we don't know when, we know he will. And so when you, when you look around the world, uh, you can't help but be moved deeply. Uh, this is why it gets painful after a while. You go, oh gosh, another person sold into sexual slavery. Another person mugged on the street. Another country disrupted by a mad person. Uh, another kid who, recovering from an injury, gets addicted to opioids and now at 22 is gone. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You cannot help but look around the world and not feel the funk of a broken heart. That's why lots of people stop coming to church. Years ago, a guy, a wealthy business guy in La Jolla said to me, hey, you know what, you keep raising these issues that are challenging and troubling and you make me think. Uh, Your point being, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. He goes, I come to church to feel good. And you don't make me feel good when I come here. Well, how about making you feel alive? Does that, does that get any credit? Because if you're alive in this world, you have to be prepared to feel the pain of the world. It gets worse. I can tell you why. Because if you go home and lock all the doors, you move to a guard-gated community, you completely keep all those people who bum you out away, guess what? You start to understand that you are a person who bums you out. You start to see the condition of your own life. Why did I say that to her? Why did I do that to him? Why did I withhold what I could have easily given? Why did, et cetera. Why did I walk away? Why did I push through? Why do I feel this kind of resentment or jealousy or envy or pride or need for power, right? You can't get away from this. You are, I am, we are brokenhearted people who need the comfort that God alone can provide. Being brokenhearted demands attention. And in this larger perspective, the second beatitude falls under the category of lament. Lament. Did you say that word with me? Lament. That's a word we do not say in our culture. So much so that it sounds like an old-fashioned, archaic uh, word that we don't need to refer to. Lament is the number one category in the Psalms. Something like 60% of the Psalms are laments. So this, this beatitude comes under the category of lament. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He could have started with, you know, blessed are those who are young, because it's going to be awesome. Blessed are those who are super talented and smart, because life's going to be great. Blessed are those who have money and health, because, man, it's going to be good for them. No, he'd be, he'd be talking to such small groups of people, or people who are that for, for a moment. I, I didn't want to, I, really, I can't even watch a whole football game, but I, I like to watch at them every once in a while when I'm walking through a room or something. And I'm walking through, and, and the charges are ahead by, you know, I don't know, at least, I don't know, 20 points or some crazy number. And I said, Jenna, why are you even watching that? It's over. She goes, it isn't over till it's over. So Jesus doesn't start with a picture of where a person might be. He starts with everybody. This is a universal message that nobody says, oh, I wish he was talking about me. Had I known he was talking about these other people, I wouldn't have shown up today to the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so we lament, mourn, and grieve over this fallen world and the many ways that we experience pain in it. We see sin's effect, the fact that we want so much to get it right and it's just out of reach. So lamenting isn't whining, moping, or complaining. I've got that covered. If, if that was just what it was, I'd say, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm at the heart of it. I know, I know about lament because I can whine and moan and complain. Uh, I'm probably only second to you in doing that. I mean, you know. But lamenting isn't whining, moaning, and complaining. Whining is taking responsibility for you. I love the way that song ends. I'll be searching everywhere just to find someone to care. I'll be looking every day. I know I'm going to find a way. Nothing's going to stop me now. I'll find a way somehow. I'll be searching everywhere. I know. I've got to find a way. The singer is taking responsibility for himself. He moved through the normal, inevitable, whining and moaning and complaining. Wow, what a screwed up world. Why doesn't anybody care? Why doesn't somebody do something? And he ends with this note of saying, I know. I'll do something. I'll start with me. And so lamenting is thoughtful, deep reflection about loss and failure and disappointment, about the things that didn't go right, that should have gone right, the things that you knew would not go right, but you did it anyway. It's about failure and injury. And so lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow leading to understanding. It's not a spin cycle, same old, same old, same old, same old. Lament breaks the spin cycle of whining, moaning, complaining and says, what if this is supposed to go somewhere and I'm supposed to learn something? What if somehow this this sorrow is going to make me understand myself and the world and God better? Not that God is piling this on me. It's the world I live in that's piling it on me. But God is saying, in the midst of this world that does this, in which you do this, I will bring you comfort. If you'll only stop long enough to see what it is, what it means, and how you can live it. And that being the kingdom of God. And I should say that The first beatitude isn't just the first beatitude, it's the primary beatitude. Because if we get blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, if we start there, all these other beatitudes start to make sense. All right, I recognize my spiritual poverty. God wants to help me understand what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is, does, and looks like as it's lived. It's the primary beatitude from which the others flow. And so when I'm confronted with this idea that, oh, wow, blessed are those who mourn for they should be comforted, oh, I'm willing to, to acknowledge my spiritual poverty as I lament. Because God wants to lead me to a place uh, that's better than where I am. So the next big point, if being brokenhearted demands attention, the next point would be this. The point of lament is catharsis, compassion, gratitude. Authentic spiritual growth. You know, catharsis, it's, it's literally right out of the Greek. I love this. Catharsis is exactly how it reads in the Greek. Catharsis is a release, a relief, a, a purging of all the bad, a, a renewal uh, of who you are, or at least it sets, it sets the context for renewal. So catharsis, you might say in, in the worst sense, uh, I, though I hate to throw up, I, I feel a lot better after I do. You know, although I don't like to cry, I feel better after I do. And so catharsis is a relief and release. That's what lament does. We get to go somewhere. Read Psalm 51. David has devastated his family and another family in his, in his adultery with Bathsheba. He's compromised his authority and integrity and credibility as a leader of Israel. It's a complete and total uh, d- disaster. And he wants to cover it up and not deal with it. Man, doesn't that sound familiar? He knows he should lament, but instead he's going to lie. Why lament when you can lie to yourself and everybody else? And finally, a prophet, God raises up named Nathan, comes and tells him this compelling story, and uh, he says, you know, you are that man. And what do we get out of that? Psalm 51. And, and, And you see the catharsis of David pouring out his heart to God.
cathartic moment. And you see how he receives God's compassion and understanding. And it ends with gratitude. Lord, I want to be your spokesperson. I want to be the person who says, this is what the kingdom of God is. This is what it means, and this is what you can do with it. Beautiful picture that the point of lament is catharsis, compassion, gratitude, authentic spiritual growth. And so in the face of life's pains and losses, we lament our spiritual poverty, and that's where God meets us. Where are you experiencing spiritual poverty and the need to lament? Maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm just embarrassed to be me today. I made such a mess of my life. And you're your own judge, jury, and executioner, and God is saying, please stop that. That's not your job. How about this? How about you just turn to me and let me help you move through this? So godly lament turns us from denial, blame, and rationalization and toward God's mercy. Again, our first instinct is is blame. it, It happened to me. They did it. If they weren't doing that, I wouldn't have had to do this. Denial right, is, I didn't do it. It's not, it's not about me. In fact, I'm not even feeling what I'm feeling. You ask me why I'm angry? I'm not angry. Oh, and you know the tone that says, oh my gosh, you're angry. And then the rationalization is, but I had to do it. I was justified in doing it. You deserved it. You, you know this, right? You know the formula. We all express this in different ways. And sometimes you get really, really smooth at the way we conceal it. We become very chill about it, but we get it done. And that's called passive-aggressive. That's great. Oh, look. So godly lament allows us to identify our pain, own it, empathize with the pains and losses of others. It's a powerful thing that way. It starts with us, but it immediately connects us to the world around us. Now, here's an interesting thing. tears often come because of the fallen world in which we live and fully participate in. One of the most compelling, shortest verses in the New Testament is the one, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Jesus was perfect in every way. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus had no reason to weep. We tend to weep over our own sins, or at least that we get caught, or at least that we can't change other people. Why did Jesus weep? He was, he was grieving over a world in which Lazarus could die and leave his two sisters vulnerable and bereft of the male protection necessary to make it in the first century. He was grieving uh, and, and identifying with the daughters, these two sisters who were his dear friends also, because these three siblings were all very close to him. And they're saying, you know, if you'd been here earlier, this wouldn't have happened. And so here you see Jesus entering into uh, this situation where um, though perfect, he's identifying and taking on and sharing in this pain. In your most healthy state, in your most most together version of you, uh, you will still have to put yourself in places where you feel the pain of the world. So the idea of, of this catharsis and all is not to get away from it. I no longer feel pain. This is why Buddhism is a is a dead end. Buddhism is a beautiful description of a world that we'd like to think exists. It is a nothing world because one, it's atheistic. There is no God to comfort you. And the whole point is to deny. The reason reason that you have problems in this world is you have attachments to things. You care about things. You connect to things. And so you have to then be apathetic about those things. Now, some of the beautiful things that come out of Buddhism, you know, seem to be very gentle and very kind until you're not Buddhist and you live in a Buddhist country. And all of a sudden, then it's not so beautiful. This is human nature. We make our own version of things awesome until you cross me. But denial gets us nowhere. Blaming gets us nowhere. Rationalization gets us nowhere. Understanding puts us in play with God. And so we see that God himself came into the world to comfort us that we might comfort others. The empathy that Jesus is showing tells us what he's teaching, proclaiming, and demonstrating in the kingdom of God. I am sinless. This is not my issue. 
but I've come to comfort you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If you go to uh, the Scripture, it'll say, here's why you should care. Here's why you should be vulnerable. If you go to almost any other ideology, they'll say, you shouldn't care and don't be vulnerable. It's weakness. Why are you doing this to yourself? They got themselves into it, let them suffer. I mean, it's consequences. It's their karma. Now, I know in our culture, it's just absolutely socially inappropriate to ever question any ideology. But we've got to put them out there and say, do these really draw us into a place where we can deal with the inevitable brokenhearted nature of the world in which we live? And I can tell you 100% of them do not. I don't need to be brokenhearted because I'm going to break you. I don't need to lament because you won't be here to bug me anymore. Once I dominate you and control you and put you in a camp somewhere or remove you completely, life is going to go back to the awesome way I'm designing it to be. And you are an annoyance to me and you must be removed. So you see, that's how the world works. That's how relationships work. Have you ever been ghosted or canceled? Does anybody in your family look back and say, we had to leave because you were killing everybody in our family or, or our ethnic group? We had to remove ourselves because they wanted to take the girls and either kill them or give them into sexual slavery to the soldiers. I heard a compelling story, I don't have, all the time, I don't have time to tell you all the deals, details, about <clears throat> this week how uh, two women who were stuck in Afghanistan, their brother was with them, they were, they've been hiding since uh, the smooth and orderly transition out of that country. And I'm not mocking any particular political regime, I'm just saying human nature wants to get rid of things so they don't have to deal with things. These people are now dealing with it. And without all the details, I'll just tell you that the brother goes out because he's the one who gets the food. He's not dressed exactly like the guys that like it, so they beat him. Say, hey, where do you live? Why would your mother let you go out looking like this? They bring him to his home. They beat the mother, and they discover the marriageable young daughter, the 16-year-old girl, who they say, you're going to marry a soldier right now. And we'll come back for you tomorrow and get you. And through a whole amazing Underground Railroad thing, they are now in Brazil. Within two days of this, they were in Brazil. A fantastic network that you just one phone call and you can, powerful. My point is this, only the God revealing himself in scripture is the one who says, I will comfort you and I will actually get in the mess with you. Psalm 40, another psalm of lament. I'm in a pit, it's horrible, it's dark, it's scary, it's slimy. Where are you, Lord? And, and, and Psalm 40, you too made a great song out of this, by the way. I'm talking about ancient music today, by the way. Did you notice that? This is all old music. Um, and all of a sudden the psalmist says, oh my gosh, you're in the pit with me. I didn't know. You're in the pit with me. Wow. You see, this is the God of all comfort who comforts us and then sets us up to comfort others. So being brokenhearted demands attention. And the point of lament is catharsis, compassion, uh, uh, you know, gratitude, that leads to spiritual growth. And the final observation is this. Uh, lamenting, mourning, grieving is hard. Lamenting is hard. We do not like it. I want to get over it. I want to move past it. I'm so strong, I think I'll just deny it and, you know, or absor absorb it and move on. I'm fine. It's hard. If we had the time, I'd just go around the room and say, have you ever had to lament? Tell us, was it easy or hard? And then I'd ask the question, is it, was it worth it? You know, well, I'm still in the middle of it. I had my good days, my bad days. But we all know lamenting, uh, and whether it's a, an intense mourning or grieving or just the disappointment of, oh, I thought we were going to do better than that. It's hard, hard, hard. Because it makes us feel so weak and vulnerable. The tears make us feel weak. Tears are a gift from God, by the way. The sense that I'm insecure, I'm vulnerable, I might get hurt again, I might get hurt even worse. If people know I'm, I'm, I'm this weak and feel these feelings, they might not respect me. But here's the crazy thing. <clears throat> people who can feel deeply are the people we respect the most. I, I've said this before. Somebody said, oh my gosh, you know, 
uh, this new leader is fantastic. He is so emotional. You go, oh no. We've had a couple of those. It doesn't work very well. She is so emotional. You'll love dating her. I don't think so. You know, this guy just goes nuts with emotions if you push the right button. Can't wait to get to know him. <laughs> but would, if you say to somebody who says, hey, tell me about this person. Oh, man, he is a man of deep, deep feeling. You go, wow, really? Yeah, she feels deeply. Wonderful to see how she processes stuff. She feels super deeply. Mother Teresa didn't do what she did because she liked it. She felt deeply. So, lamenting, mourning, and grieving is hard. We want to get it over quickly and move on. And in our desire to move on, we can underestimate the valid need for grief and lament. What is the valid need for grief and lament? Closure. Closure. It's not an unending, bleeding wound. Now you might say, I am right now in the midst of it, and I can tell you I will never get over this. And I can tell you, you will. Not through denial, not through evasion or avoidance. You'll get through it because you're going to have growth and understanding and acceptance. And it's, God will put this in a context. <clears throat> when um, you know, Janet and I were first married, some of you have heard me say this, in that first year of our marriage, my mom died. I was 28, Janet was 25. My mom died. She's 49. It was just devastating. And partly it was devastating because she had lived a very hard life. So the, the thing that was devastating to me, I couldn't even speak at her funeral. I mean, as a young pastor, I just, there's no way I could speak. Because I just said, I just kept thinking, you know, it was so hard. It was so hard. And then this. She died of a cerebral hemorrhage. The next year we're, we're you know, having kind of a fun anniversary trip we're in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We get a call in the middle of the night that Janet's 22-year-old brother um, was killed in a small plane crash. Devastating, devastating, devastating. We, we talk now, uh, if, if somebody said, oh man, I wish your mom was here to see the girls or your grandkids. I don't break down in tears. I, I just get wistful. I go, yeah, I wish she was. That'd be great. Oh, my mom would used to do this. Or what about, or hey, what, what would you think Jimmy would be doing right now? We don't get into this, you know, funk for days. The grief and the intensity is behind us. There's closure. The loss is always with us. So you're not betraying your loved one or that great vision or dream to move on. You with me on this? And you're not being super sensitive and respectful by clinging, clinging to mourning and grieving and ongoing lament. Recognize the loss. Pay whatever tribute you need to to that. But don't let that be the defining feature in your life. This is why it's so important to lament and grieve everything in its own appropriate way. Um, at the end of a good, fun dinner, our friends who were so devastated to watch their team annihilated at SoFi, 65 to 7, were toasting the wonderful young men who started the season unranked, had no idea where they were going to go, and they made it all the way to the national championship. We were celebrating the, those young men. We had stopped lamenting a football game that next year nobody will remember who was in it. Now that's easy because it's a football game. They'll always, if you, if you call them today and say, hey, tell me about the game, they go, ah. Oh. But they don't have the same feelings they had the day of. Now, the more intense our experiences of, of grief and loss are, of course, it takes a lot longer. So hope is a sign of closure. I start to feel hopeful. I start to feel like I can notice things again. And if you have been with somebody in a long process of decline, they've been suffering hor horribly, they've been in, sick for a long time, often you have done a lot of grieving up front. You might not realize it, but you've been grieving and not even realizing it, and now there's a sense of catharsis at their death, and you feel a little guilty about that. It's a false guilt. Wow, why do I feel so much relief? Because they're feeling relief. They're beyond pain and suffering, and you've been with them for a very long time going through this. You're not being disrespectful and insensitive by saying, I just feel so much better. I don't have to go see my mom in this situation or see my dad suffering this way or see that child, whatever it is. Or our cat, we had to put it down. Our dog, we had to put it down. It was horrible. I felt so guilty. You, you follow me on this? Hope is a sign of closure. And here's why. We don't get 
over life's losses, we move through life's losses. Oh, have you gotten over your mother's death? Well, I'll never get over my mother's death, but I've worked through it. And I am, I'm filled with gratitude that I had a mom like that. Oh, I'm filled with gratitude that this person we're here to honor today as we remember, commit, and celebrate to the Lord is beyond pain and suffering. This is why the Bible says we grieve as those who have hope. Grieve, tears, all of it. Bring it on. But at some point, the end point and, and the defining point moving into the rest of your life is this point of closure where you go, okay, I'm starting to feel hope and I can move on. And there's a hallowed place in my heart, in my mind, my life for that person or that vision or that situation. Gee, I love living in that house. I'm sorry we lost it and had to move into an apartment. But you don't spend the rest of your life looking back to the house, driving by everybody going, you know, I used to live there. You say, you know, I have a great life with my family right now. Bummer we didn't get to keep the house or whatever the issue is. So lamenting and mourning is a way through pain, through loss and grief, toward acceptance and growth. So we lament and grieve with hope because of Jesus. Therefore, don't rush your mourning. Don't let people say, get over it, move on, suck it up. And don't cling to it. Don't linger longer than you need to. And if, if somebody, after a very quick, what seems to them, recovery, because you've been processing for a long time, says, wow, you seem to get over that very quickly, it's almost a judgment. It's meant to in- invoke false guilt on you. So you're having a great day, and kind of soon after, and you just look at them and go, you know, the beautiful thing about what I've been through is I've, I've been learning what hope looks like and embracing it and accepting and now I have gratitude for where I am and today I'm just I'm just loving the day so here's how I suggest you pray pray like this Lord teach me to lament so I can receive your comfort and comfort others Lord teach me to lament because we are not good lamenters in our culture we are get over it people in our culture Get it done, get through it, step up. Everybody's depending on you. Mary, Martha, stop thinking about Lazarus. We have people to feed. We're not good lamenters. So pray, Lord, teach me to lament so I can receive your comfort and comfort others. Because if you don't, you'll be bitter and angry, resentful, and it'll come out everywhere. It leaks into everything toxic. And then pray this, Lord, help me to feel deeply. And discern meaning and purpose in the powerful emotions I experience. See, it's a different prayer than, Lord, help me feel emotional. Rather, Lord, help me feel deeply so I can understand these emotions as I move through this situation. Now, having made that prayer, then start doing stuff. Talking about how you're trying to learn how to lament and you're praying for God's guidance in doing it. And people start offering books for you to read, or you'll find books to read. You'll start having conversations with people. They won't be afraid to talk to you about it, because you've already said, I'm, I'm learning how to lament. Got any feedback from me? Maybe you need a mentor. Maybe you need a small group that's going to support you going through that. Maybe as you start to read the Bible in a fresh way, you'll start to see that, my gosh, the whole thing is full of lament. What have I been missing here? Well, because you've only been focusing on the parts that say, you're awesome and life is wonderful. And of course, prayer. It will drive you deep into prayer. Because prayer is simply sitting quietly in the presence of God and saying, Lord, speak to me through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Let me pour out my heart to you. Let me journal. Let me write some things down. Let me, etc. right? This is the powerful, powerful movement of God's Spirit to help us grow. And so here's the takeaways. Three takeaways about finding comfort in the midst of mourning. One, mourning is normal, necessary, and inevitable. Don't be shocked when your kids abandon you. They will abandon you. Oh, I mean, they'll go to college. I'm sorry. <laughs> the people you have invested your life in will betray you and throw you to the side. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They got married and they had a family. I'm sorry. Let me reframe that. So mourning is normal, necessary, and inevitable, and loss isn't the final word in life. Guess what the final word in life is for us? Not loss. It's hope. Secondly, life is a gift 
And our gratitude to God means growing through life, not just going through life. If you have gone through a divorce, please stop saying, I'm divorced. Unless it happened this week, or six months ago, or last year. If you ever have to talk about it, just say, you know, I went through a divorce. It does not define me or describe me adequately. That's just an example of seeing life as a gift, and our gratitude to God means growing through life, not just going through life and assigning titles and descriptions to ourselves that aren't useful after a certain period of time. Finally, God comforts us so we can grow in a relationship with Him and people and comfort others. So it starts with, I'm going to lament. It continues with this process of coming to closure and seeing life as a gift and having deep gratitude for God's presence with you. And then it turns you into a person who can then offer comfort. And the people who have been through this process, the way they offer comfort is through presence. I'm going to do a memorial service next Saturday. There will be 300 people at this outdoor event. And the, and the dear widow is going to try to comfort 300 people who are trying to comfort her. And probably half of them or more are going to say inane things. You know, the Lord needed it more than, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's this or that. And she's just going to smile sweet and go, thank you for being here. What's your cat's name? But if you're a person who has been through this, you're going to simply go up and say, I'm just glad to see you today. I want to give you a hug. I'm praying for you. I, I want to do anything I can to encourage you, support you, let me know how. Or hey, could I do this for you? You see how that becomes just a very simple access thing. You don't have to come up with bad theology or lame things to say to make somebody feel better. You just recognize where they are and that you're here with them in it. So Lord Jesus, I pray that for me, for my brothers and sisters here. That Lord God, uh, we can take uh, the opportunity, uh, if it takes a minute uh, or a big chunk of our life, to lament and to mourn and grieve our losses, life's hurts and disruptions, the failures, the disappointments, and that, Lord, in the midst of that, we can learn to lament in ways that allow us to find hope and to move toward a place of gratitude, a deep understanding about the gift of life. And that, Lord, we would be, maybe for the first time, or else just in a deeper, more profound way, able to comfort other people as you have comforted us. So, Lord, that's my prayer. Thank you for these beatitudes, and thank you, Lord, for this particular one. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this is a time for offering, and for us, it's not giving money. We, we, we receive all the money you want to give us uh, because that allows us to do what we do. But this offering is about you offering yourself to the Lord and saying, Lord, here I am in the, in the context of the second beatitude. Meet me. Here's what I want to bring to you. Let's use this time to worship God and to bring ourselves to Him as an offering. Let's do that. Grandeur earth has quaked before Moved by the sound of his voice Seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard Through it all through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And it is well with me. Far be it from me to not believe Even when my eyes can see And this mountain that's in front of me 
will be thrown into the midst of the sea. And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on Through it all, through it all, it is well, yes. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, and it is well. Kind of makes you want to take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground, doesn't it? 
We are on holy ground, not because this place is holy, but the Lord who is holy is in this place. And he's in you. And he's for you. And he's with you. And as you walk out the door, that's when the service really begins. We've gathered to worship, to remember who we are and who he is, to know that the kingdom of God is this, and it means this, and it can do this. And so now go with the assurance that he is with you, that his Holy Spirit, his word, his people will support you and guide you and encourage you in living this out, both now and forevermore. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all and give us his peace, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If we can pray for you before you leave, just come up here in, in this area and, and uh, there'll be a, somebody there to have a brief, brief prayer with you. Normally we go out in the prayer garden. Please get something to, to eat before you leave and maybe have a great week and we'll see you next week. God bless you.